This is the Brain Over Belly podcast, solving the puzzle of obesity with Dr. David Brown of Idaho BMI. Permanent weight loss is a big commitment, so it's only natural to have a lot of questions. What are the most frequently asked questions about bariatric surgery and Dr. Brown's permanent weight loss program? Today we find out with the help of our listeners. Here's your host, Rick Dunn. So we're starting a brand new season, and we have covered a lot over the past year, Dr. Brown. I think we have. Um, And a lot of that people kind of take in. They forget some of it. They retain some of that information. So today we want to go through um, some of the... uh, some of the points that we think maybe are important with brain over belly. And then we're going to have some of our listeners weigh in and ask some questions that you can hopefully answer as well. I hope so. So uh, should we jump right into the questions? Let's do it. (laughs) All right. First question. Go ahead. Which operation should I have, the sleeve or the bypass? Uh, Great question. Very common one. Um, my answer to that question has changed over the last several years. I would say eight years ago, seven, eight years ago, the list of reasons I would suggest a person have the bypass was maybe nine or ten items long. In other words, the list um, list of reasons I thought someone should have a bypass was a long list. Today, it's really only two things. Uh, in other words, <clears throat> I encourage more and more people to have the sleeve instead of the bypass. And my perspective is, of course, I, I really enjoy doing both operations. Uh, but if it were me on the table, I would want the sleeve. And the reason is it's a lower risk operation by quite a bit. And truth is, if we really understand how these operations work and how to use the operation, a person can really pretty much have the same amount of success with a sleeve, but avoid a lot of the risk. What is the, uh, I mean, just real quick in a nutshell, what's the difference between a sleeve and a bypass? So a sleeve, sleeve will take me uh, about 30 minutes to do and simple concept, go in and I end up removing about 80% of the stomach and what is left is in the shape of a tube or shirt sleeve. Some people think that sleeve is some device you put in. It's not, it's just the, the shape of the stomach when we're done like a shirt sleeve. Bypass, a little more complicated. It takes an hour and a half, maybe two hours. And uh, you're rerouting the intestinal tract. Um, so it's more complicated. And as you might uh, expect, with more moving parts, uh, there are more things that can go wrong with right. it. So as I've gotten more and more experience with the sleeve, um, that's where generally I encourage people to go. So what are the two reasons today that some that I would suggest somebody have a bypass really number one is someone comes in and they just want the bypass you know mom dad somebody had the bypass that bypass they did well and that's what they want so that's fine Uh, the other reason is if someone has a history significant for reflex um, heartburn with a condition called Barrett's esophagus with dysplasia sort of a technical thing. But anyway, in that scenario, yeah, I'd encourage someone to have a bypass instead. Are these uh, are these surgeries dangerous then? So I would say 20 years ago, 25 years ago, yeah, they were fairly risky operations. Um, and it's very different today, very fortunately. <clears throat> um, why is that? Well, over the past 20 years or so, 
<clears throat> there's been very consistent systematic review of these operations and a lot of people working on it to make these operations safer. And I would say it's been very successful. And today, these operations really are among the safest mainstream operations out there in any specialty, major operations. So, yes, quick answer is today, yes, these are considered safe operations, which is very different than 20 years ago. All right, Terry, in Caldwell, go ahead. Will my insurance cover it, and uh, what if it doesn't? I think we talked about this in our last episode. I think we did. Uh, I would estimate about 50 to 60% of insurance policies cover these operations, bariatric operations. So it just depends on a person's insurance. Um, and over time, over the last 20 years, the, the percentage of insurance policies that do have bariatric uh, coverage has increased, but it is increasing very slowly. So it just depends on the insurance policy, and that's a big part of what my office does is investigating those types of things for people and making those arrangements. And your office has been able to cut down on a lot of those costs. I can't remember the specifics as to why that is as far as what it used to cost. Uh, or, or what it can cost, and then now what it does cost with you, Dr. Brown? Yeah, and that's – last time we talked about the surgery center that right. we've opened, Everest Surgical Institute. And so the reason we've been able to drop costs for folks who don't have insurance coverage is because we now have a surgery center, and so we control that and we can minimize costs that way. Uh, Amanda in Boise, go ahead. How long does it take between the consultation and the surgery? Great question. Common question. Uh, again, once again, it depends on a person's insurance coverage. Uh, if someone doesn't have any insurance coverage for bariatric surgery and they're going to pay out of pocket, well, one of the benefits is that they don't have to jump through some of the hoops that insurance policies typically have. So in other words, <clears throat> it can be a month, you know, three wow. to six weeks before someone uh, is ready for surgery, whereas some of the insurance policies take quite a bit longer. So I would say the average is three to six months. So first time I meet somebody and they want bariatric surgery and they qualify, it's between, I would say, four to six months between then and time to schedule surgery. Uh, Trenton in Nampa, go ahead. What's the process leading up to the surgery? So everybody has this question. Um, it is a, uh, a process driven primarily by insurance companies, but also just making sure people um, are ready for surgery and that we have minimized risk. So <clears throat> there's the initial consultation. So I meet with a person one-on-one. -on -one, we go through everything. And from there... My, in my practice, my office manages that. They help people navigate through the process. Uh, but a lot of insurance policies require what they call medically supervised weight loss. And really what that entails is the person coming back to my office once a month for anywhere from three to even 12 visits. Um, we have everybody meet the dietitian. We do some basic testing, some blood work, EKG, um, and if someone has a history of heart disease, of course, we'll want to communicate with their cardiologist or other medical 
conditions. Something else very often required by the insurance companies is for a person to have a psychological valuation. Well, I was thinking that too, yeah. Yep. Yep. And that's a screening evaluation, really ensuring that the person understands what they're doing and that they don't um, have problems that would preclude their success. Really the theme before surgery, at least as far as I'm concerned and the way we approach our patients is working with people on food Mm -hmm. and just uh, walking through the process with people of eating different food and changing when people eat and how they eat like you and I have discussed. Because it doesn't just switch overnight. you got to start training right. your brain. Right, right, right. So we start out from day one. Well, let's get busy practicing this stuff. And yeah. that's the mindset. We practice. Carrie in Meridian, go ahead. What is the recovery after surgery like? Well, it's fascinating. Over the last year and a half with this pandemic of COVID, it's actually changed it. And I think in a good way. So before this pandemic, every... Everybody that I operated on with these operations stayed at least one night in the hospital. And as a result of the restrictions and difficulties associated with hospitals, uh, I've been able to migrate these cases into the outpatient setting. So today, I would estimate between 60 and 70% of these operations I'm doing as outpatient procedures. Wow. So, and I actually think that people are doing better with their recovery. They're up. They're, they're, they get further along the road to recovery. Um, I, I would imagine more, there's a lot of rest that's involved when they go home, and they're even as an outpatient. Not too much. Not too much. Well, <laughs> want them to sleep at night, but otherwise to be okay. Active in a reasonable sense, up walking around and trying to resume normal activity as quickly as possible. So up walking around within four to six hours of surgery. Uh, they do this liquid diet for three weeks after surgery. Um, so I would say on average people are off of work for about a week, sometimes two, somewhere in there. Gotcha. Uh, Eric in Mountain Home, go ahead. How fast am I going to lose the weight and how much am I going to lose? Great question. It's, it's a matter of proportions. A guy coming in or starting off at 550 pounds, he's going to lose weight uh, as far as the number of pounds, a lot faster than someone who's starting out at 240 pounds. Sure, so, that makes sense. So I've had someone lose almost 40 pounds in 11 days after surgery. Wow. Um, and he felt great, but it's proportional. So it's very common for people to lose one to two pounds a day in the first three weeks after surgery. Um and I, again, encourage people not to be too obsessed or focused on numbers. It really can become distracting. Yeah. Uh, but it's not uncommon for someone who comes in and they're 100 pounds overweight when we first meet. And for them to you lose almost all of that weight within the first six months or so after surgery. Um, I encourage people to remember it's not a race. It's really about doing very small things very consistently. But that being said, it's not uncommon for us to see that. People lose a vast majority of their excess weight within six months after the operation. All right, Tina and Boise, go ahead. Will I be hungry when I'm losing weight? Mm. So um, after the operation, again, as you and I have talked about, 
the operations work primarily through their impact on the person's brain and the central nervous system, and that's one of those things sort of at that control panel in the Uh brain that's changed essentially overnight. In other words, the vast majority of people who have these operations will tell you they don't feel hungry. Uh, And it is very interesting because the perception of hunger evolves over, I would say, three to four months after the operations. So some people will, you know, I see them 10 10 days after surgery and they'll say, you know what, I'm hungry. And I'll press them on it and say, are you really hungry? And they say, well, actually, maybe not, but my brain is telling me to eat. And so there's this transition or this evolution after surgery, and it's really fascinating for me to see it and see how it changes. And ultimately, if people will do these very small things, ultimately the answer is essentially always no. They really don't feel hungry, hardly at all. And that's a, so is that a mental thing then? Or is that because their stomach is smaller? Or or, or is it a combination of everything working together? So I recently heard someone say, you have never experienced anything outside of yourself. Okay. Right? Yeah. Car crash, whatever. It's always You the know processing. from your perspective. That's right. Exactly. It's your brain processing data and information. And so it's the same with all of this stuff. Hunger. Well, it's always ultimately perceived in a person's brain. And so it's. I would say ultimately it is always neurological, um, but hormones change pretty dramatically within one to two days after the operation. And when I mention hormones, what I mean is important hormones to metabolism like insulin, ghrelin, leptin, something called GLP-1. There's a lot of them. And they are altered in their levels pretty dramatically within a day or two. And this is an interesting point. So why is that? Well, it's not because of weight loss. No one loses that much weight in a day or two. And it's not really because of a change in nutrition. It's neurological. What is happening as a result of stapling the, the stomach in this way. Uh, you get those changes in hormones that quickly because of those changes in the brain and the central nervous system. Jasmine in Eagle, go ahead with your question. Can I go back to eating the foods that I like before surgery? So, I think everybody wonders about that. <laughs> and, and if I can, which ones? <laughs> well, here's here's the potential or the power of the operations if a person does the right things or practices the right things every day. Can I go back to the foods that I like? The cool thing is a person can change which foods they like. And I mean at a very deep level. Food that you crave or desire, that can be changed. So you're really going to the very fundamental issues of this problem. It's it's not a matter of discipline and, you know, this warfare mindset, willpower. No, it's actually being at that control panel in a person's brain and being able to change what people really want and desire. So you're saying somebody might love a big chocolate chip cookie and then afterwards... Maybe not so much. Exactly. What? Yep. And it goes along with that evolution of the perception of hunger. But really, if someone does these very small things that you and I have talked about within three, four, five months, yes, the the settings in the brain have changed 
so significantly, uh, and this is very, very consistent as far as what people say, what they desire, what smells good, what tastes good, has changed very dramatically. So I haven't really answered your question. The question is, can I go back to eating the foods I like? And I'd say, well, no, but it's a lot easier to not go back to those foods when we change those settings in the brain. If you don't want them anymore. Right. They don't mean anything to a person. So, you know, from the time we are months old, we interpret the world in such a way that we place meanings on foods. Foods can be used as punishment in people's homes or rewards, or it's inevitable that we end up at a very young age interpreting food in a very specific way. And part of the power of these operations is being able to detach those meanings that have been attached or assigned to foods. So it doesn't mean anything. Interesting. It's like stopping at the gas station to fill the car. Nothing (laughs) emotional or passionate about that. Yeah, it's not like that's riding a roller coaster and we love to do it. We wait in line to do it, huh? Exactly. (laughs) Right. There's nothing to it. It's it's a clump of matter. Uh, Brenda and Nampa, go ahead. Can I stretch my stomach out after surgery? Uh, I would say that... Well, first of all, you you read that everywhere, and it's a very common question. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone has surgery, they lose weight, they gain it back. The perception, the idea out there is that what's happened is that they have stretched their stomach through eating too much consistently, or mm-hmm. and in the reality, I you don't really see that. It's it's not any changes in the stomach, in in my experience, it's the neurological thing. It's, it's, in other words, in the brain. If a person doesn't listen to all those new sensory signals after the operation, uh, those signals will go away. And that then that person will eventually migrate into the old habits, the old preferences as far as food. And your brain just becomes accommodating. And that's why someone gains weight. So to, to answer the question, no, you don't really stretch your stomach after surgery. Hmm. Uh, Thomas and Caldwell, go ahead. Why do people need revisions? So I do a fair amount of revision surgery. And the reason is, in my opinion, that people aren't given the right tools when they had their first bariatric procedure. They were told, to some degree and in some way, well, these operations work by restricting how much a person can eat. In other words, the solution is in your abdomen. It's in the stomach when I would tell people it's the solution is in the response to the new sensory signals after surgery. So revision surgery, it's a necessary thing because in my opinion, people are not given the right tools and don't really know how to use these operations. And really the traditional thinking is it's about restriction. And if you really think about that, it's a mindset of taking something from a person, the option of eating too much. Uh, that's a uh, almost a powerless mindset. My argument is there's a there's a much more powerful pathway or way to use these operations, and that is through this whole neurological approach, where people really learn to be empowered. And I know that word is used probably too much, but really reattaching people 
or allowing people to reattach to their potential and what they really can do in their lives. All right, we'll take a couple more. Uh, Jennifer in Boise, go ahead. Why not get the gastric band? So, gastric band, the formal name is adjustable gastric band. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Well, so it was a really clever idea, and uh, there really were two companies that uh, manufactured these devices, started really in 2001, but the idea was you put this silicone ring around, around the upper stomach, Mm-hmm. and it would restrict how much a person could eat. That a person would eat enough food to fill the small portion of the stomach above the band, and then they'd feel full and they'd stop. Great idea. It just turns out um, it, doesn't, it doesn't work very well. Of all the different surgical options to treat obesity, it is by far the least successful. And in my experience, uh, they can often cause problems. Um, terrible heartburn, problems with the esophagus. Uh, they can slip, and that can be a, an emergency with the potential for injuring the stomach. Mm. Um, so they have fallen out of favor, I would say, since 2010 or so. They have declined in the number of them that have been placed, and now I don't know that I can name any other bariatric surgeon who puts these in on a regular basis. So everybody's pretty much saying these. this yeah. is not the way to go. Yeah, but if you back up and you think about this, that why don't they work? Because they are not changing the vagus nerve, which you and I have talked about. Right. It's, it's truly relying on the principle of a restriction. So that's my argument would be that that's why these things don't work very well is because you're not cutting those tiny little branches of the vagus nerve and you don't get that reset in the brain and the central nervous system. All right, last question, Pamela in Boise. Go ahead. I have lost and regained weight many times. Why will this time be different? I have uh, become more attuned to this reality in the last six to nine months. And that reality is that just about everybody comes in to meet us for the first time really underestimates their ability to be successful. Or uh, So most people are not overly optimistic, you don't well, think, then? they don't really state that, but I ask them down the road after surgery, okay. you know, what's been the most surprising? And what I've found is people very consistently say, look, I when I first came in, I thought I'd be happy if I could lose 50 to 60 pounds and keep it off. Mm-hmm. Well, 150 pounds later and feeling absolutely amazing and just shocking themselves, they let me in on that secret that they really didn't think they could be that successful. And that's based on previous life experiences where they've gained weight, lost it, gained it, lost it, and just repeated failure. The assumption is that, well, this this is probably going to be another version of success and failure. So the difference is the capacity for a person to truly and deeply reset their brain in some of those fundamental ways that it becomes easy. Maybe that's the simple answer is that if they will do these little things consistently, it truly becomes so easy to manage weight it's not the same struggle that no, they're going through right not, now. It's, it's not the battle of willpower or the warfare mindset. Yeah. And that is a distraction. It doesn't work very well because it doesn't target the right stuff. 
And it actually makes the fundamental problem worse by leading a person down the road of guilt and shame and feeling like a failure, feeling judged. So it's just that economy or that system or mindset that it just it just doesn't work. Well, this has been a great uh, refresher to kind of kick off 2022. It's been a crazy two or three years now. I don't even know how long we've been going through this whole pandemic thing. <laughs> no, I'm losing track. <laughs> um, but as we head into this new year, any closing thoughts, Dr. Brown? Uh, it's a new year. Chance for people to start again. It's a chance for me to start again and, and to have hope in change and uh, human potential. So never give up. Keep trying. Keep learning. Uh, there's hope for everybody. Everybody has a great story to, to live. Thank you again for coming in. We'll talk to you next month. Okay. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, Rick.